0: Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws?
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Jaws? I'm Paul Spataro, and I am once again joined by Mr. Blaine Daller. Thanks for coming aboard, Blaine. Oh, anytime. anytime. And we are now taking a look at Phase 3 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, As this is recorded, uh, we are anxiously awaiting captain marvel to come out but when you are listening to this i believe if my timing is right it will have been out for about one week maybe two uh and you've probably already seen it and you'll be waiting to hear our review on that which the show will get to it i promise you but i'm just not sure about the timing on everything uh so with phase three I have to think now they had this down to a science and that they knew exactly where they were going to go and what they were going to do as far as the movies that they went with. The only one, if my memory of the timing is correct, that seemed to be subject to a change is originally when they announced the planned films. uh, I remember The Inhumans was on the list and then they eventually went to a television series on that, which I feel is... Way over maligned, but uh, that was a change that they made at some point, and I'm not really sure about the reasoning for that. I don't know if you have any knowledge about that, Blaine.
2: i seemed to be a bit of a, a tug of war on the production end where Kevin Faggy wasn't interested in an Inhumans movie, but the owners at Marvel were more convinced than he was that they could make this story work. So then when if I negotiated to have more of a free hand and step over the movies, then the inhumans that got pulled out of the movies got sent to a TV series, which you know, they were looking at having the TV and the movies feed into each other. There's been a lot of examples of the movies feeding into the T V series. And the Inhumans was going to be the first case of the TV series feeding into the movies, because they were introduced on Agents of Shield first. Right. But then that kind of went away because Kevin Feige is now sort of operating more independently. So he's still telling everyone what's going on, but it's still very much, you know, the the TV shows respond to the movies rather than vice versa.
1: And the whole thing with the Inhumans is it seemed that since Marvel didn't have rights to the X-Men, as far as cinematically, uh, that they were making a conscious decision to try and replace them with the Inhumans, uh, not only in the cinematic ver- verse but also in the comics themselves, they they put a push on those characters that never seemed to get a you know take hold. Uh, mm-hmm. And and like I said, I th- I thought the series was uh, you know I thought it was entertaining. I'm not saying it was a great series by any stretch of the imagination, but I watched it and I didn't think it was nearly as bad as people made it out to be
2: yeah it's my wife and i enjoyed it as well i i think it comes back to the conversation that we were having during phase one where your expectations will have a big impact on the way you react to a show so i think it's it it was like some of the comments i made about iron man 2 just because it is the weakest of marvel's tv productions doesn't make it weak or bad but it does mean people expect a certain level of quality and it's less than that
1: it is but i also think that and and we talked about this with certain movies that weren't even in the marvel cinematic universe uh, x3 spider-man 3 um i think there was an internet bullying thing going on uh where you know like the, the, the initial viewers watched it said oh we don't think this is good and then they started making postings about it and it was almost like well if you think it's good you're stupid <laughs> you know what I mean so that you you know you people are, are almost afraid to like something like that and it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point point. Uh, and I think it's the, the antithesis or the opposite of, of what you were saying as far as uh, expectations now it became I expect this to suck so when I watch it I'm going to say yeah it sucks meanwhile again I'm not Arguing for a second that it was great, I just thought it was okay. It was entertaining. It was decent to watch. I didn't mind s- staying with it through the whole run, which was, I think, was ten episodes. Uh, yeah. And and it was, you know, it was fine. But it was so maligned on the internet that I, I I expected it to be, you know, really horrible. And I don't think it was.
2: Yeah, neither do I. But I wonder how much of that could be because the early reviews were coming from the IMAX release, because the way that came out, they released the two-part premiere. Well, really, it was a ten-part story. But they released the first two episodes um, and in an IMAX theater release prior to it hitting the TV. But because of the physical format of IMAX, they couldn't get every minute of them onto a single platter. So they took that 90 to 95-minute release and edited down to about 75 minutes and released that. And watching it on TV, I couldn't really find 20 minutes worth of content you could cut without harming the film. Mm-hmm. So that could be part of it, too. The early reviews were based on an inferior version of the product.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a fact. I also know, even if you didn't go IMAX, if you went into a regular movie theater, I don't think it was a big screen production. I think I think it, it's mm-hmm. one that, that, in my mind, no question would play better on the you know, on on a home uh, video. So was, I think th- I think that in... was a misstep. I think they should have viewed their product and said, "Yeah, this doesn't this doesn't lend itself to a, a, a theatrical release." Yeah, it did have a, a lower production budget than a
2: lot of the other shows, and there were some legitimate complaints. I mean, we talked about sewing the Merc with a mouth mouth shut for X three. Here, Medusa's without her hair for the majority of the series, and there were rumors before it even launched that the only reason that they made that decision was for controlling the cgi budget because you'd have to have cgi hair in every single scene
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that was yeah i I didn't care for that choice uh you know it kind of takes away (laughs) a lot of the purpose of having that character in the first place but you know what, what can i say Yeah, it's not uncommon to
2: show that, no, this character is still amazing without the powers that we're used to, but we never got a chance to to get used to her with the powers.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think they should have had her show her powers more, and then maybe you could have done that later. Yeah. So, unlike the Inhumans, which we really weren't uh, really planning on talking about that much, uh... The, the Phase 3 of the Cinematic Universe started with Captain America Civil War, which a lot of people felt should have been titled Avengers 3. Uh, but it did focus mostly on Captain America, so I don't really have a problem that they made it a Captain America movie, even though the guest cast is phenomenal in it. This was another movie that uh, that uh, it, it was kind of like... The Avengers, where I saw this and I said, oh my God, I never thought I'd see something like this in my lifetime. I can't believe they were able to pull this off. This is amazing. I just thought it was phenomenal. I loved this movie. Uh, We did, for anybody who's interested in listening, we did a two two true freaks commentary on this during one of the uh, Long Island visits of the freaks. I had, I don't know ten people in my living room and we put it on and just did a commentary while we watched it. Uh, and it, it was, you know, it's just terrific. I love this movie. And uh, what's, your, what's your take on it?
2: Yeah, I think this kind of solidified the Russo brothers in their role It proved that Captain America Winter Soldier was not just a fluke and that these two knew what they were doing. Uh, especially since prior to that there were some naysayers and some people concerned in the fandom. First because you know, Robert Downey Jr. said, hey, if you're going to have me in this film enough to tie up my shooting schedule, I don't want it to be a glorified cameo. So they weren't even planning to originally tell this particular story. It was because Downey said, no, if you're going to have me in here enough that I can't film another movie, you're going to have me in this more than that. I need a bigger role.
1: Oh, see, so, I didn't know about that.
2: Yeah. So they beefed it up and turned it into civil war which was a title they were already planning to use because kevin feige had gone through the top selling events to figure out at least titles to use we didn't really mention that with avengers age of ultron but we could have there's an event called age of ultron that sold well and was not necessarily critically that well received but it has pretty much no bearing whatsoever on the avengers age of ultron movie yeah, exactly,
1: and that's aside from <laughs> and, the fact uh, that they both have Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it, you know, Civil War, uh, the comic series, was released to mixed reviews. So, hmm. I think it was you know it was there was a danger in choosing this title because there could have been that internet backlash before it was produced, where people decided, well, I didn't like the comic series Civil War, so I'm not going to like the movie Civil War, and I'm already going to start the negative buzz before i've even seen one frame of this movie there was a danger that that was going to happen and i did hear a little bit of a swelling of that although it seemed to get shouted excuse me it seemed to get shouted down for the most part uh and i don't think there was ever any i don't think that particular movement had any legs once the movie was released because i think once it was released everybody just said oh this is phenomenal and and moved on i also think that this movie was a little bold in just some of the steps they took from the uh the mythology of the universe, what with, you know, showing us how Tony Stark's parents died, uh, and connecting that to this story in a way that I didn't expect them to take. I thought that was a, you know, a, a pretty bold move, even though it was a minor part of the movie, it was a major part of the motivation for the movie. And it is, you know, uh, Tony's father, uh, has been a significant character in several movies at this point, so I was a little surprised that they went that way, although I don't have a problem with it at all. Uh, Again, I just thought the movie was great. I I loved it, and uh, I I can't say enough positive things about it. Uh, From a box office point of view, this one cost, uh, where is it? $230 million to make. Domestically, it made $408 million, and oversees 745 million for a 1.15 billion dollar take. So, safe to say, it made profit. Uh, we should also point out
2: that this was our first look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe
1: Spider-Man. Oh yeah, and and that's that's worth uh, discussing as well because that's another uh, that's another situation much like the Hulk where. They came up with an agreement. They still didn't technically have the rights to the character, but they came up with an agreement with Sony to be able to use the character. Uh, and we're going to see him again later before this uh, before this phase is through. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure exactly how they were going to go about it, but I thought you know he made a splash. Uh, and the biggest thing, and this is something I've been calling for for the longest time, is saying, you know, if you're 15 years old, uh, as a general rule, your aunt and uncle aren't 90. Uh, usually they're in their 40s or their 50s. And uh, they, they finally got that right, and they cast Marissa Tomei as Aunt May, which is just a drastic change from everything we've seen in the past. Uh, but I thought that was great.
2: Yeah, she seems to get, uh, I and mean, Uncle Ben get a couple decades younger with each cinematic reboot. Mm -hmm. yes but yeah that was a really good move and that was a case of sony coming to marvel saying okay you know we had sam raimi on the projects the first two went really well for us the third not so much and then mark webb came in with amazing spider-man the first one was very successful financially fairly successful with reviewers you know the biggest complaint about it was why reboot so soon you know and then the second one didn't
1: perform all that well either yeah some, some some bad choices on those and eventually those will be reviewed on is it yours uh, thankfully they're not part of the Marvel cinematic universe um, and this this pluses and minuses I, I I'm, I'm very hesitant uh, if, if you if you listen to the shows I've done so far there are precious few jaws 4 rankings. <laughs> Because I can usually find something positive in most of the movies I watch. And I would say the same thing for those uh, amazing Spider-Man films. There's some bad choices in them, but there's also some moments that I thought made them shine a little bit and I don't really have a problem with to speak of.
2: Yeah, I seem to enjoy both of those more than the average moviegoer and the average online reviewer. So, flawed,
1: but I would rate them higher than others would. Yeah, I I think uh, we're in the same boat on that one. But we're we're, we're getting ahead because we're going on to Spider Man when we haven't even finished Civil War yet. Yeah. Uh, again, there was a lot of stuff cinematically that went on, uh, or not cinematically, mythology wise rather that went on. Uh, as far as uh, you know, the the relationships between the characters, the characters' relationship with the government. Uh, you know, historical, history of the characters. We were introduced not only to Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but Black Panther as well. And I think both of those were were smart choices because they did have plans down the line, and we'll get to them in this discussion, to release movies starring those characters. But to dangle them out there a little bit for the fans to see, and dangle them out there in a positive way, where you see them and you're thinking, wow, look at this character. I want to see a movie with this character. I think that's, you know, it's it's great... uh, I guess promotion for future films, which this does not come off as, hey, you know, watch this because you're going to see things we're building towards, which is one of the criticisms and the praises I've heard of Iron Man 2 when we talked about that in Phase One. Uh, that some of it is building the mythology and kind of forgetting to make it part of a good film in the first place, and you know, again, we disagree because, or a lot of people disagree on that because I don't think that's a that bad of a movie at all. Uh, but in this instance, I don't think introducing these characters had a negative effect in the slightest. I thought, in fact, if anything, it bolstered the film and made it more exciting.
2: It did. And it helps that, I mean, with this one, like we said, Sony came to Marvel and said, we want, you know, our Spider-Man movies are not doing well. So they made a deal where Spider-Man could appear in the Avengers movies and Marvel would sort of oversee the individual Spider-Man projects. So we're going to see um, events in the Avengers movies impacting the Spider-Man films, as we did, that we'll get into, more than we'll see the Spider-Man films impacting Avengers. So it's the Spider-Man movies are kind of halfway between the status of the, the TV shows and the movies. But what it did was it give Marvel the chance to say, no, here's how to do the character well, because Marvel understands these characters. And this... I think was at least the best written version of Spider-Man. I've heard people make a case for who's the best actor to play Spider-Man. And that's something I have a hard time weighing in on that because I think they all were
1: right for the scripts they were given for their first movie. I have no problem. And again, we're going on Spider-Man here, but I have no problem with the way any of them played Spider-Man, but I have to say that none of the three of them are what I picture when I think of Peter Parker.
2: Yeah, I'm not. It may be an unpopular opinion, but Andrew Garfield is my favorite Peter Parker.
1: Uh, I, I would have to give it more thought, but I can't tell you I necessarily disagree. I'm not sure. I think I think he. he I'm not sure. I, I honestly, I guess, as I review the movies so far on here, we've only done the first Spider-Man. Uh, so as we go through the uh, the Raimi ones, the Webb ones, and now Homecoming, and then we're going to have uh, far, from far From Home. home. Uh, They'll they'll all eventually be reviewed on here, and as I get through them, I guess we'll see which one I think is the best. And not I would say there's not necessarily going to be a correlation between the best film and the best a best Peter Parker. So you could mm-hmm. be, I could, it's possible that I agree with you on that. Is is ultimately yeah, I, what I'm saying in a very long way.
2: I, I think when it comes down to is that Peter Parker has certain defining traits. And none of the actors have been given the chance to portray all of them. So it's a, a question of which traits you latch onto most as a fan. And for me, the, those traits were the ones that Garfield hit. Although Tom Holland is, is not a bad choice either. I, but again, in this one, he's basically got a five-minute scene where they kind of brush over the origin... You know, say, what is this version of Spider-Man like in a little conversation in his apartment when Tony drafts him and then we see him in action and here, like you're saying Spider-Man and Black Panther both have a chance to shine, they're both shown to be incredibly capable individuals and Black Panther actually has a really nice character arc in Civil War this is really Black Panther's origin story as a subplot and yet he doesn't feel slighted or left out yeah, in exactly. The universe, even though there's so much going on, and he really is a sub- subplot. Like he's this is a Captain America movie with Iron Man as the major adversary. You know, as we're getting into what they call the Sokovia Accords, a reaction to what happened in Age of Ultron, where the collateral damage from them being on site was extreme, and even though the Avengers were fighting to prevent it. People are still looking at the body count and needing someone to blame to cope with their grief, and the Avengers take that blame. And this is a case where Cap is saying, no, we were minimizing the damage. And Tony was saying, Well, you know what, they're they're not wrong. Right? That was an attack on us, orchestrated by Ultron. If we hadn't formed the Avengers, you know, this wouldn't have happened. Versus, you know, just like the comics, Cap was against registration, Tony Stark was before registration, slightly different motivations in the comics.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that was one of the things from the comics that they actually made better in the movie. Uh, it was yeah. to, Tony's motivations and Tony's just character arc for the story. Uh, in, in the uh, comics, I think it was widely felt that uh, they tended to minimize the character's history and not give him the same level of uh heroism that he had in you know had previously had they you know effectively turning him into the villain of the piece uh and and i think it was more problematic because they kept touting it as we're going to give you two characters and you're going to understand both of their motivation and understand why they're coming through a conflict, but the way the story was presented, Tony was the villain and Cap was the hero, end of story. Uh, In this one, I think it's a little bit more believable that they both have the positions that they do.
2: Yeah, and part of that could be because it's not written by Mark Millar, because I find, looking at Mark Millar's entire body of work, he was the, the writer on the comic series, he always portrays the scientists and engineers as jerks. He just seems to think that's part of the package
1: yeah so he thinks he's being fair and balanced and presenting things accurately but what he's doing is he's presenting his own biases
2: exactly yeah so that i think that hurt the comic plus a lot of people felt there were some other out of character choices like you know mr fantastic during the walt Simonson run single-handedly talked congress out of rules like that and then this time he came out in favor
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, which was That's hard true. to justify J. Michael Straczynski had a hard time with it Dwayne McDuffie actually did a better job with it one of my favorite lines of dialogue in the whole uh, Fantastic Four comic series was you know he- Human Torch coming up to Mr. Fantastic and saying okay I know you're saying you're on this because it's the law but you don't even obey the law of the physics so it's just you and me let's try again tell me what's really going on
1: mm. and, yeah and the other thing I just wanted to hit on before we move along on this a little bit was, you know, you mentioned Black Panther, and I think he was masterfully handled in this because he didn't really have a tremendous amount of screen time. He had just enough, and I'm trying to look at this from the perspective of ca- of viewers who are not particularly familiar with him as a character. He had just enough to make him interesting and not make you scratch your head as to who he was and to make you say, "Ooh, he's really cool. But not to dominate the screen, where again you'd feel like you know, oh, this is just a preview for things to come. He he was part of the story; he wasn't overly emphasized, but he was given. You were given enough of him to be excited about him. I think it yeah. was that that was just you know that's not easy, and I think that needs you know that should be acknowledged and uh, and praised.
2: Mm-hmm. And as we said, he actually had character growth and an arc. I mean, he he starts as just the prince, and then. There's a terrorist attack that takes his father's life, so he becomes the king of Wakanda. He believes the Winter Soldier is responsible for it, so he starts going out on a quest for vengeance. But eventually understands that yeah, there's way more going on than he ever realized. The Winter Soldier is ultimately not responsible for it. And he chooses not to take revenge in the way that we thought we were going into. I don't want to get into too much detail. It's in the obscure chance that someone listening hasn't actually seen it. It is worth seeing and you don't want to spoil everything. But you, you can clearly say that there is an arc here. If you look at the decisions Black Panther would make when he's first introduced versus when you see him halfway through the film versus when you see him at the end, he would not be making the same decisions at those three points in the film.
1: Yes, I agree. Um so from Civil War, because we don't want to make this just a Civil War show, uh, the yeah. next release was Doctor Strange. Now I found this one had uh, an interesting release history. Not not release history, but a critical history uh, in that when it first came out, uh, I was hearing a lot of very positive buzz about it, and people seemed to be really enjoying it. And I got to tell you, I enjoyed it. I thought the, uh, some of the things they did as far as the visual images in the movie were really well done. I th- thought the story was pretty well done as far as bringing him into the MCU. Uh, but then afterwards, there seemed to be almost a backlash where people were saying, yeah, that one wasn't as good as uh, the other ones. That one bores me a little bit. Uh, so... It it seemed like I said initially there was positive, and then there seemed to be a little bit of a negative take on it that I was surprised to hear. Uh, have you have you had a similar experience or not? Uh,
2: so I was one of the people who came out of the opening night saying that was fine, but it wasn't living up to the hype. Like mm. I, I enjoy it. I watched it again. Benedict Cumberbatch is perfect casting. I'm actually quite happy because. There was a bit of a production story to this, too. It was originally supposed to come out earlier. Um, Joaquin Phoenix was almost cast in the role, but he had to back out due to schedule conflicts, and then Benedict Cumberbatch was in talks, and then he had schedule conflicts, but then they restructured Civil War, which changed the release date of Civil War, and changed the schedule on Doctor Strange, which cleared up the schedule conflicts. So they got Cumberbatch back on it. You know, and then... You know, we got Rachel McAdams once again playing the emotional support and or love interest to a time traveling hero for like the fourth time in her career. That's an obscure pattern that doesn't (laughs) happen often. Um, But yeah, it was I love the visuals. I love the casting for the most part. I mean, there was some backlash over the casting of the ancient one. You know, Marvel thought they were increasing diversity by making the Ancient One female instead of male. Some people thought they were decreasing the diversity by taking a traditionally Asian character and making them Western European or Caucasian.
1: And and I think that was an effort to avoid the same thing they were trying to avoid with the Mandarin. That they didn't want to get into stereotyping because the way he was presented in the comics was kind of you know, a, a stereotype that isn't necessarily positive as far as his 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 heritage. Yeah.
2: And it could be because some of the choices they took with that character arc, too, but yeah. this ancient one is not quite as heroic as the comic version. Yes. We'll say. Um, but yeah, I found, aside from that, you know, amazing visuals, perfectly entertaining, but it didn't take as many risks as other movies in terms of storytelling it didn't give us much that we hadn't already seen aside from how the cloak of levitation works a bit of an inception vibe to it so again with the visuals but with the story structure it was pretty much your standard superhero origin structure
1: yeah, the, I would say the criticism I had of it, and I didn't mind any of the other things, but the only thing that I was a little critical of that I, I thought they could have made a little bit more effort in the scripting to make the character a little bit more unique uh, in that he had the same snarky Comebacks and attitude that Tony Stark has displayed uh, in the Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe, and I've seen them do that in the comics, but it's a more recent thing, and I think it is uh, kind of lined up with the cinematic universe a little bit. I would rather have seen him be a little bit more stoic and a little bit more, uh, a little bit more everyman, because everyman isn't sitting there and, and, you know, coming up with these snarky comments all the time. I wanted to see him as exceptionally intelligent, but not necessarily hip. Yeah, the to me the comic book
2: Doctor Strange prior to this I mean, he could get off the zingers and put you down, but he was never doing it with the intention of being funny. He was just a jerk. And that's not quite the way it was here. Like you're saying, it's more the Tony Stark quips instead of just you know, he Doctor Strange does fight for the greater good, but he also has a bit of a mean streak. And if he's not impressed with you, he will tell you he is not impressed with
1: you. And not only that, but in in the comics, if you look to some of his early stuff, Doctor Strange could be not necessarily malevolent in any way, but a little callous in the way he treated people. And they got that in the beginning of the movie, but it's almost like his character arc has that totally resolved. And that's not necessarily, you know, there there should be a little bit less growth. I think there should be a little bit less growth because the growth he experienced was almost too dramatic for what went on. Uh, You know, he should still be maybe a little callous towards other people's feelings and a little bit just not, you know, a little bit oblivious to other people. Uh, And I think he, he could have been a complex character and he could have been heroic, but not necessarily, you know, somebody who you'd like on a personal level.
2: Yeah, he should be the guy that you respect. It's, you know, I I wonder if maybe it was influenced a little too much by House, or maybe not enough. Because House, to me, is more like uh, what I would expect from the Doctor Strange in the comics. You know, he is an exceptional doctor, but there's no sugarcoating when he talks to you. Yeah, you're there because you were an idiot,
1: he's going to tell you. You're an idiot. And while he ha- he was it was an entertaining show, and you would accept him as the hero of the show, and on some level you liked him, which is not always easy to do with a character that's not totally like a uh, bull. That was, I, I think, I didn't, I hadn't made that comparison in my mind, but I think you're about right. If they had presented his personality similar to the way they presented you, Laurie, in House, I think that would have been more in line with what we had in the comic books, and I think it could have been done successfully. Instead, we have somebody who's just a little bit too much like Tony Stark, so eventually when they meet each other, uh, there isn't the contrast that I would wish for. Now, that mm-hmm. didn't, we're going to get to that movie, but... Yeah, and I don't think it really created a real negative to the movie, but I think it could have been another positive that we didn't get. Mm-hmm. So from Doctor Strange, and I guess Did you box office for. Oh Doctor yeah, we, I first? guess we should hit box office. Uh, Doctor Strange was made on a budget. It's they have a range here. I, I'm not sure exactly why. Uh, they have 165 million to 236.6 million i think that may be due to some uncertainty as far as what people received uh as their box office you know their take on the box office uh and they may not have exact numbers on that and have to speculate as to where it could have been that would be my guess as to why it's that way
2: it's usually between that and the marketing budget because sometimes people will just say here's the production budget and not count marketing other times they will include marketing
1: I don't, I, honestly, I don't see how you can, um, unless you're just trying to impress people with how ch- cheaply you made your movie. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't incru- include the marketing budget, because that's part yeah. of the whole process. But that's a, an argument for another day, I guess. Now, domestically, it made $232 million, so it just barely made its money back. Overseas, it made $445 million, so the total take was 677. million. Uh, I'm not sure how much of a success that makes it. You know, Clearly, compared to some of the other blockbusters we've had in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's it's a, uh, a low-lier. Uh, but I'm still assuming that there was profit to be had for the uh, Marvel Studios when all was said and done. In which case, they should just be saying, okay, that's great, and moving on. And-
2: yeah, it's one of those ones that would have been cutting it fairly close in the theatrical release, but then by the time you add the home video sales...
1: Yeah, and that's something that never gets factored in either is the the home video sales that these these movies keep making money after after they're already determined whether or not they're profitable or uh, or a loser, and uh, you know that's not necessarily accurate because there are yeah. certain movies that come out there and are failures in the uh, in the box office, and then there are such splashes in the uh, home video market that the sequels and they become a phenomena, and uh, you know clearly they become profit ev- profitable eventually. So, But that's, again, another argument for another day. So from there, on May 5th of 2017, we got Part 2, or Volume 2, of The Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I've heard some interesting things about this, in that I've heard some people say I like it more than the original. I've heard some people say it's more of the same. Uh, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews as far as the overall take on it. But my thoughts were... It was a little bit of more of the same, but what we got the first time was so entertaining that I didn't mind more of the same. And the story is got just enough differences to it that I don't feel like I'm watching the same exact movie over again. So I'm good with this, and I enjoyed it. And it, it was not a huge mytho- mythological, uh, you know, changer that. You know that I could hope for, but that would probably be my only disappointment with it—is that there wasn't a lot of uh, interaction with the rest of the universe to speak of.
2: Yeah, but there there wasn't a lot in the first Guardians. That's something that had kind of
1: been the pattern with them up to this point. That comes like four movies later. Yeah, I expected um, to get some sort of a, mm-hmm. uh, a some sort of an introduction of these characters into the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe that we didn't get, and it didn't end up. It didn't end up detracting from their later appearance anyway, uh, but that's just, you know, it was just a slight disappointment only just because I expected it. Uh, the scene we eventually get with Thor going on on the windshield of, of, of their ship, uh, that was done in one of the comic books, one of, one of the Thor annuals when he met up with the Guardians of the Galaxy and we had covered it on Back to the Bins, so I think we did it in a score episode for Guardians of the Galaxy. Um I kind of thought we might see a scene like that in this with no explanation as one of the, uh, the post-credit scenes. So we didn't get that, but again, no no great loss in the grand scheme of things because what we eventually got with them in the cinematic universe worked out fine.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it did work out well in the end. Um, it was an interesting take on Ego the Living Planet. You know, I was not expecting Kurt Russell. I personally enjoyed it for the most part. Not quite as much as the first, but I'm not sure if that's because it's somehow objectively not as good as the first, or if that's just because my expectations were so much higher that they weren't exceeded to the degree. Because I went into the first one thinking, can they really make this work? But the second was like, okay, they got lightning in a bottle the first time. What are they coming up with now? Yeah. Uh, I I just felt, for the most part, I enjoyed it. I just felt that um, Rocket and Yondu did not start off as the characters that they were the last time we saw them. Rocket was a little less integrated into the group than I expected, which was important for this story. But mm-hmm. it just felt like they were changing the character because the character we knew didn't fit the story they wanted to tell. So they were just going to write him different and hope no one noticed. That's, that's really and, my only complaint.
1: Yeah, and, and Yandu was never presented the way he had been in the comics which always just kind of didn't feel quite right to me, but it didn't feel quite right to me when I'm trying to acclimate the comics to the movies. It didn't create a problem for the movie itself.
2: Yeah, and that, other people have pointed that out, and James Gunn's response to that was, the Yondu from the comics is 10
1: centuries from now. This Mm -hmm. is not the same Yondu, this is his ancestor. Yeah, I've I've heard that as well, which is kind of, I think, a, a snarky response, but okay. Especially since we eventually meet the other Guardians in this movie, uh, yeah. Starhawk and uh, Martin X and Charlie Charlie Twenty Seven. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, and, and that that was a nice little, uh, little nice little throw-in in this movie. Although Sylvester Stallone as Starhawk is casting I could never ever see, so I don't see I don't see that ever going anywhere else other than that cameo.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go, because they set up a lot. James Gunn went in whole hog with this, with you know, all the little cameos, and he even incorporated a fan theory in one of the post-credit scenes. And, I mean, one of them, there's, what, six yeah. men in post-credit scenes in this? Yes. And and the um, post-credit but, scenes are very worth watching, honestly. <laughs> oh, they are. I mean, there, there's one that's that must have had Al Sedano cheering for the rooftops. Ugh. You know the, the host of the Resurrections, mm-hmm. and the Warlock, and Thanos podcast. Yes, um, they're the one that solidified a fan theory. He heard fans say, "You know, what if all these Stanley cameos are all really the same character, and he's just one of the Guardians or or one of the Watchers, or working for them?" And James Gunn said, "I love that," and he just brought him in the end, reporting to the Watchers. So he decided to make it canon that those <laughs> really are all the same character
1: yeah i I think that's great too i I, you know and it's something you don't have to take overly seriously and you just kind of move on with it but it's it's it also it even explains his appearances in the non-mcu movies that he's made because the watcher has established in what if that he watches other alternate realities as well Mm -hmm. so that still works uh so following this up we got spider-man homecoming uh, which, again, I thought was really good. They took a character of the Vulture and made him the villain. And he's a guy from the way he's presented in the comics. In the comics, his, he works fine. But he I wasn't sure how they could make him work in the more realistic live-action version. I think they did really well with it. And it kind of goes against some of my ways of thinking because I'm always concerned with these movies when they seem like well we're embarrassed by the way things are presented in the comics and we have to change them so i i, I get a little i bristle a little bit when i get that feeling and they kind of did that with the vulture like we weren't going to put him in the green uh suit with the the you know it almost looks like a flannel suit with a big collar and a, you know real, make him a real old bald man and uh i you know i I can agree, though, that I didn't think that would present well on the on the big screen. So the way they did it, making more mechanical, kind of what they did with the Falcon as well, uh, that it worked out very well, and and he was a good villain. Uh, I enjoyed the story. Again, the Peter Parker stuff didn't really work as well for me as it possibly could have, and I think it was possibly because there was a little bit of a rush to get him integrated into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that was by necessity because of the arrangements that they had and and everything. But I would have liked to have seen the teen Peter Parker be a little bit more alone and angsty than he is, because he's got a little bit more of a support group here than he did in the comics in the beginning in fact in the beginning in the beginning of the comics he had virtually no support group and that's one of the things that made the character and i think we lose that here so that's where i have a little bit of a problem with it it's not so much that i have an issue with watching this movie and enjoying it it's just that we're changing to me one of the fundamental things of the early origins of this character and i do think that hurts it a little bit
2: Yeah, it is definitely... It's it's got more of an Ultimate Spider-Man feel than it it does the the Liam Ditko Spider-Man feel. Right, Ultimate Spider-Man, MJ was there as a support from the start. Here he's got a Ned, not necessarily Ned Leeds, but there's a buddy named Ned that's helping him almost from the outset.
1: Who who visually is clearly ganky from from the Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man.
2: Yeah, um... It, it is, It's a more ultimate with um, Samuel L. Jackson or you know Nick Fury having some input. Here it's more Iron Man that's kind of trying to shepherd him and get him onto the Avengers proper. Which uh-huh. is an interesting take where it's like that's all he wanted at the beginning of the movie. And at the end he's like, you know what, now I know I'm not ready. And they've got this massive press release
1: in the other room. Yes, press conference ready to go. Yeah, and and I, like I said, I, I enjoy this movie. I think it's very entertaining. It's just not necessarily the Spider Man. I it's not the Spider Man I would have chosen to see. Put it that way. If if I had yeah. my hands in the mix and I was able to dictate how it was going to be, excuse me, we would have probably had at least one movie before we got to this. And I don't think we would have done an origin because it's already been done twice. So am I'm, I'm happy with them avoiding that. But I think I would have. Again, I think I would have presented most. I would have had a small. I would have had a small-scale villain, but that he would have been dealing with it all on his own, and that would have been the cre- you know a creation of the conflict for him, or it would have been greater conflict for him instead of having the support group. I would have liked to have seen that. Now, there's no reason you couldn't even do a flashback to something like that at some point, just to give him a little bit more mm-hmm. of a uh, a character arc that's more similar to what we have in the comics, but. I don't think they have a will. I think you know it's just what we have. We joined him, kind of running uh, where we are, and we have to go with it from there.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm okay with it. Like you said, it, this doesn't feel like a first adventure, but we know it's not a first adventure. He had a couple of adventures that got Tony Stark's attention before Civil War. Yes. Yeah. So I I had no problem saying, okay, they just chose not to tell that story. It doesn't mean that type of story didn't happen.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm saying is, you know, like I said, they could do some sort of a prequel. I don't think they ever will, and I can kind of create that in my own mind canon that uh, that there was, whatever, six months, let's well, isn't say. Well, is far from that home
2: a prequel? I mean, he, he's dead now,
1: right? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 I can't yes. believe that there's actually an internet uh uh buzz over that and i guess we'll talk to that you after know. we get through this this level of the universe uh yeah. just silliness as far as i'm concerned so on this yeah. one the budget was i guess a fairly reasonable in consideration of what we're doing in these movies 175 million domestically it made 334 million and worldwide worldwide We're at $880 So this was definitely a success, and we will be getting Spider-Man Far From Home. So uh, I don't know, even though it's a success, I don't know to what extent it is for the Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe's purses, only because they do have to share it on whatever arrangement they made with Sony, uh, because they don't own the character still. They're just borrowing him. And I, I wonder sometimes, like, in the comic books, When they had, say, Rom Space Knight, they didn't own that character, but they did a series with him. And then subsequently, they did have him guest star in the Hulk, and I think there was an issue of Marvel 2 and 1. And now they don't have the rights to that character anymore, and they can't reprint those comics. And I wonder how this is, if there's, you know, I'm sure that they made arrangements for this, but in movies like civil war and avengers infinity war i wonder if there's any issues with what they can and can't do as far as home releases video releases streaming because of anything that they have to take care of with sony i would think that they have the total right to release it as they see fit and they just have to give whatever percentage of the profits to Sony as a result. But I, I don't think they'd let themselves be hamstrung that all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, you're not going to see Avengers Infinity War anymore because uh, Sony is blo- you know, legally blocking the release of it ever again or something along those lines.
2: Yeah, I, I strongly suspect that they, they learned from the, the Batman 1966 example where Fox could distribute the movie, but the TV series was a legal nightmare and they just got it all worked out for batman's 75th anniversary to tie into that because they figured oh this is the event that's going to say this product is going to sell enough because that had you know some owned by fox some owned by warner brothers and some of the cameos of celebrities who would lean out the windows some of those celebrities were under contract by universal so universal had a hand in the pot too Mm. and there was music rights because the way the soundtrack was it took them a long time to sort that out so when they finally did you could be sure i grabbed the blu-ray set because it's like it could very well be an hour and everything i don't know if it's still going to be available in five years
1: yeah well i think once once they've released it on blu-ray though to some extent the cat is out of the bag you may not be able to get it in walmart five years from now but there'll be some sort of market that will have it because it exists and it can be recreated somehow uh and i guess the same would yeah. be true for this but uh, it's i'm thinking about it more from the perspective of marvel studios and what they have the rights to do i'm, I'm pretty confident that they made sure that they're not going to be hamstrung by using a character that they don't own
2: yeah i, I think it, everyone in this industry was looking at that show where everyone knew it would make a profit they just had to figure out how to divvy it up and say, this cannot happen again. And some of that was because of ambiguities. Like Some of the people involved said, no, we're pretty sure that that other guy owns this piece. It wasn't even, you can't do it because we want it. It's like, ah, we don't have the authority to give that to you because those guys own it.
1: Mm.
2: So this, I'm, I'm betting since that mess, they went in absolutely crystal clear saying, okay, here is what happens with every distribution channel we are currently aware of. And here's a contingency plan for distribution channels that nobody has thought of.
1: And I'm wondering, uh, you know, how these negotiations went to some extent, too. Like, uh, I don't think it was so, you know, it wasn't necessarily Sony coming to Marvel hat in hand and saying, hey, we've had some problems with, you know, our releases on this character. Can you help us? But it wasn't necessarily Marvel saying, hey, we need this character. I think it was kind of a mutual thing. Uh, in that regard, I think Marvel knew that they could mm. use him to great effect, and I think Sony knew they had issues with uh, The Amazing Spider Man 2 and were concerned about putting a third, you know, a, a next one on the slate, and certainly didn't want to ha- be the studio that was rebooting him again. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I, I think there was a mutual desire to get this deal worked out. Uh, yeah, it, I, I,
2: my understanding is that Sony got the conversation started but Disney Marvel was very willing to participate in the conversation because they recognized this is a mutually beneficial agreement and if it's going to work at all we we need each other because mm-hmm. Sony was not going to let them buy out and they didn't want the rights to lapse as Fox had done with Daredevil. right? And, mm-
1: you know, yeah, Daredevil lapsed drenched. back, Punisher lapsed back. Uh, yeah, they Namor they're,
2: lapsed back because they never even made a Namor film over at Universal.
1: Yeah, I would love to have seen... I don't know if I want Namor as a standalone, but I would have loved to have seen him cameo somewhere. And we still might get that at some point. Yeah,
2: I just... By the time that Marvel had the rights to him, it was a little too close in the timing to the release of Aquaman.
1: Yeah. What I had thought was, and I wasn't sure what the rights were. I had thought we might see him in Iron Man 3 in a cameo because in the trailer they had showed us scenes uh, with, with some water and Iron Man going down you know into it with uh, things going on and I thought we might have a cameo there. Uh, but at yep. that point they still didn't have that right yet, I believe. Anyway, yeah, I, was I was still, still with Universal, Universal so. Anyway, moving on from homecoming, we went to the next Thor movie, uh, Thor Ragnarok. Now, I really enjoyed this. I did have some questions about it, much in the way that I did the first Ant-Man movie, that this movie went very heavily with the humor. And I was concerned about, you know, is this going to be... Is it it going to continue to be enjoyable in rewatches, or is it going to get old fast? Because sometimes the humor doesn't carry over and and does age poorly. Uh, So far, I think this is... You know i think it's it's done well i've you know i've reviewed it a couple of times and uh I, I still enjoy this one very much uh the one my biggest gripe with this movie is i hate the fact that they showed the big reveal of the hulk in the trailer because yeah. i think if you were sitting in the theater and they had kept that a secret And as that scene developed, you might have had a clue as to what was going on. You might have even figured it out. But it would have been just terrific to have that revealed to you in the theater, not even knowing that Mark Ruffalo or the Hulk were in this movie.
2: Yeah, I I would agree. I think that would have been better. And it feels like that was the way it was written, even if that's not the way it was marketed. Uh, So sitting in the theater, it would only have been when I recognized the Planet Hulk part coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I probably would have guessed that it was the
1: Hulk, but not long before the Hulk came out. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking yeah. as well. And yeah. I think I think that would have been just a great moment sitting in the movie theater to have that reveal there. And it was, to be honest with yeah. you, it was a fun reveal in the trailer when I first saw it. I was like, oh, wow, look at this. But it didn't have the same impact that it would have in the movie theater. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And that's, I wonder if they didn't do it, because thinking about how important Hulk is to the story from that point on... You know, how much would it have tied the hands of the people cutting the trailers to do it that way? And also, frankly, these days, it's been a while since trailers were spoiler-conscious. It's all about what footage do we have here that'll sell tickets and get butts in seats. And that's exactly what that footage does. It sells tickets and gets butts in seats. Oh, yeah, and
1: absolutely. And, and I think there's an element of... You know what? The the buzz on Thor: The Dark World wasn't that strong. We need to get bigger buzz on this one. So I think that I think it was a conscious decision that you know we're going to sacrifice uh, a great moment sitting in the movie theater just to get you in the movie theater in the first place. Um, now I understand, as far as uh, Endgame goes, that they've specifically said there isn't not going to be anything shown in any trailer that takes place further than 15 minutes into the movie. That's that's what I heard about that. and i I wish uh, every movie would have that attitude because uh, I am really just very spoiler adverse and uh, adverse, and I don't really care to have things like that ruined for me. and and I, like I said, I look back on this one and and it is a regret that I knew that, although realistically it could not be avoided. Uh, I but I, mean, yeah. I I enjoyed this movie. I thought this was just a fun movie. Is really what it came down to. Uh, you know, there, there were characters that don't look the way I know them from the comics. Uh, Valkyrie looks different, most certainly. Grandmaster looks different, uh, but that's okay. My biggest problem with Grandmaster is you see him, and there's never a moment where you're thinking, "Oh, that's the Grandmaster," because you're always thinking, "Oh, that's Jeff Goldblum." Yeah. So that casting, I, I could have. I, I, I would have preferred they went with somebody less recognizable there. Uh, he is amusing in the role, but I don't think he was so integral to it that you needed to to do that. So th- those are my criticisms of this, but beyond that, I, th- I found this to be greatly enjoyable.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I mean, I I loved it right from the, you know, I saw the first trailer with the Hulk reveal and with the Immigrant Song, which was used to great effect. And I could see the criticism saying, okay, they're trying to Push it more to Guardians of the Galaxy now that are using you know, classic rock and stepped up the humor. And yeah, they are going in that direction, but that's because it's a successful direction. Yeah, it did exactly. feel more like the first two Guardian movies than it felt like the first two Thor movies. But, you know, you've got a, how many hundreds of issues of the comics? Some runs of that comic feel more like other comics than other issues of Thor. That's just the nature of the beast when you're telling long-term serialized stories
1: very true i agree totally um on this one we pay or we paid and <laughs> this this one the box the budget on it was 180 million dollars uh, domestically it made 315 and overseas it made 538 for a worldwide take of 853 million uh so i think this one we're back to yes this has to be considered to be a terrific a terrific success uh and, and I'll, you know, just to, to touch on it again, the whole thing with the Hulk now is because, is it Universal that has the rights to the Hulk?
2: Yeah, Universal's contract wasn't just for, their distribution rights for the Hulk were that they will take a, a share, and they are the distributor for any Hulk-centered movie that's produced. And unlike Paramount, they had no limiters on the number of films, it was just a, a period of time. So we've still got a few years left before we can start looking at a standalone Hulk movie where Universal wouldn't get a cut. So that's part of the reason the Planet Hulk storyline was integrated into Ragnarok. Was okay. Because if they did it on its own, Disney would have to share, and Disney's not traditionally good at sharing. They did <laughs> Spider-Man because it was share or don't use the character whatsoever. Here they can use the character without sharing, so
1: they're finding ways to do it. Well, I, I suspect that there's a, a not entirely different... Uh, situation with the fact that you know spider-man appears in uh civil war and he appears again in endgame or, or excuse me infinity war uh i would imagine you know they don't have to share quite as much as they did in uh, homecoming but you know it, it's uh, i'm sure the, the whole arrangement was that they had to make spider-man centric movies as well uh with with ragnarok i remember mark ruffalo saying that they had a story arc for the hulk that they wanted to present but because of this arrangement uh, they took that story and they turned it they broke it up into three parts and we saw the first part in ragnarok we saw the second part in infinity war we're going to see the third part in endgame and this way marvel gets to tell its hulk story uh and uh you know they get to have the have their cake and eat it too basically because they get to tell the <laughs> hulk story and they get to keep all pretty much all the money as far as uh the box office or you know other than what uh, whatever they have to pay for the rights on it.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're they're doing it well. And that's something that they did very nicely in Ragnarok, I think, was balance the different character arcs. I mean, we get one of Scourge's greatest comic book moments it, at the end of this one, and that's actually when, um, when Marvel released the list of the 75 greatest Marvel stories of all time that the readers voted on. Planet Hulk and the issue with that, scourge moment which involves spoilers those both made the list because they're classic moments from the comics and they're both well represented here
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i agree And, and like i said i just does this this is one if you were watching just for the mythology even with everything that goes on uh other than where they the position they put Thor and, and the Asgardians in at the end of the movie and how that relates to Infinity War. Uh, you could probably skip this one as far as mythology goes for the most part. But it's just a fun movie and there's so many little touches on it. Uh, you know, when they show that Citadel and you have the uh, the, the faces of uh, the By beast and Man-Thing uh, and, um, oh, uh, what's that, Beta Ray Bill. You know, just mm-hmm. little moments like that. It's just so, so, you know make the geek the inner geek come out without affecting the enjoyment for view you know viewers who are not familiar with those things uh i i just thought this was great i really enjoyed it and i think it's it's gets it's another one that gets maligned a little bit and i think it's because of the emphasis on humor but i think it's a, it's, it's a misdirected uh negative view
2: yeah yeah I, I think a lot of the complaints about it when i read them it's not that they didn't make a good movie; it's that they made a different movie than the fans wanted them to make, and I rarely find
1: that that's a fair criticism. Yeah, and one of the things you got to consider is that Chris Hemsworth does have very, very good comic timing. So uh, you know, he he lends himself to a funny movie very well, and you know, it worked. From there, not too long afterwards, because we went—that was November third, two thousand seventeen. On February sixteenth, two thousand eighteen, we're coming out fast and furious. Now, Uh, we had Black Panther, which, you know, was was a phenomenon as far as the critical reviews, the box office. Uh, To some extent, I have the slightest problem, and I want to try and say this politically correctly. With some of the critical reviews, and I think there is an excitement level that is justified over the fact that this is a black character with a largely black story, uh, or a, a story largely about black characters, I think is a better way to say that, directed by a black man. And I think there's an excitement level to that, that it was a big, big budget release, and that there was a success level, and I agree with all of that. I don't mm-hmm. have an issue with that, but I think there was also an element of, if you don't like this movie, you're a racist, and that bothered me. Now, let me tell you, I like this movie, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I want to have the right to not like it if I didn't, <laughs> and that's the thing that bothered me a little bit. Is is It became, it, it became too much of a political thought as opposed to a, a movie unto on, itself, and I I just, I just want to view movies, I think we're better off if we can view things just for what they are and not consider the racial content, because I think otherwise we're separating ourselves. I don't know if I'm saying that fairly, and I don't want to offend anybody.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that it's an extremely well-made movie, but most of the innovation is not in terms of storytelling or how they made it. It's in providing documentation that defies all the the Hollywood attitudes prior to this that movies that are grounded more in black culture with black casts uh, do not draw the audiences required to earn back a budget of this size. So this and uh, DC's Wonder Woman with the female lead were two major movies to show Hollywood, you No, know, if you invest properly and do them well, the
1: audiences will follow. I remember as, and, as, as a kid, yeah. uh, there was some criticism about something to that nature, somebody, something, a movie where, you know, that Hollywood was too white or whatever it was. And someone said to me, and it stayed with me that Hollywood really doesn't care about being racists. Hollywood cares about how much money they can make. So if they think they can make money with anybody as the star of the movie, they'll make that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I do think there's an element of that, mm-hmm. uh, you know and and this movie does bear that out that you can make you know you can make a movie with a, 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 a I was going to say racially diverse cast but it really isn't a racially diverse cast it's a very very largely black cast and that's mm-hmm. fine uh, but it, it's not you know now we're not at exploitation we're at making quality high level movies with a black cast and that's great uh, yeah. um, but I mean, we to, should we should be allowed to like or dislike them on their own merit
2: yeah if if we you know compared to the the female led movie examples People were saying that you can't make a female-led superhero movie until Wonder Woman, and that's because they were basing that judgment on the performance of Elektra, Catwoman, and Supergirl. And of those, I would say Elektra is the best movie, and it's still not that good. (laughs) (laughs) The, The problem is that they because they were taking risks and doing it for the first time, they weren't willing to invest the huge budgets in them. And they didn't have the budgets to do the stories properly. And they couldn't compete with the male-led movies because, you know, you have a quarter of the budget. It's not going to have the same kind of, you know, won't have the same big finish, won't have the same anything else. So they were, it was that self-fulfilling prophecy where they didn't think it would do well, so they didn't invest in it as much so then it didn't do well.
1: Yeah, if you wanted Just to do well, make a good done.
2: movie. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> and I want and Black Panther were huge, and Black Panther deserves that recognition. This is the the slap in the face that some Hollywood execs need to say, yeah, that the skin tone of your stars and the culture it's based on doesn't matter. You make it good, and they will come. So I I understand why it's got the political backing. I've seen some of what what you were talking about where there are people out there who say the only reason not to like this is to be racist whereas i'm a member of film groups on facebook i can point you to a couple dozen people who don't like any of the marvel cinematic universe movies because they're just not into superheroes Mm -hmm. and it's not specific to black panther so i'm i wasn't surprised to see it get nominated for best picture and i may be proven wrong by the time this comes out But I do not expect it to win, and I personally don't even think it was the best superhero movie of 2018, let alone best picture. I I
1: pretty much agree with everything you're saying, and I think most of the criticism I've heard of this movie is that it's just a little bit too formulaic, that Marvel has come up with kind of a formula for their movies, and a lot of what goes on in this movie is kind of predictable that it's going to follow that formula. I don't necessarily disagree with that criticism. I just don't have a problem with the fact that that's the case. I I, I kind of accept that formula, and I think it's well done, and and I enjoy it. So, uh, you know, I think it's a really good movie. I enjoy watching it. Again, I just don't like. I don't like to be put in the middle of the political perception on it. I want to just watch it for yeah. what it is.
2: Yeah, Black Panther. To me, I reacted like I did to Captain America or Thor, where I went into it feeling almost like, you know. This is part of the cinematic universe I'm emotionally invested in. I'm going to see every chapter. And, you know, not because I'm interested in the character. It's because I'm interested in the MCU. And it's a character that hasn't really done anything for me in the comics. And I came out of this going that was great I haven't read any Black Panther comics that good maybe
1: I'm just reading the wrong Black Panther comics and I actually could you find are. out which ones they are. <laughs> you are this there's, there's the Christopher priest run is really good I've always been kind of intrigued by the character and I've read you know a, a decent amount I'm not I, I'm not gonna say I'm a you know a huge fan but I've always enjoyed the character and uh yeah the Christopher priest run is really good and I, if, you, if you're looking for Black Panther comics to read I would highly recommend those um yeah that's already on my must read list but i still haven't gotten to it
2: the well i guess it's it was credited to chris priest whether you want to call it priest or alice is
1: up to you well i think that's the name he goes by now regularly Is priest isn't it or did he go the other way around
2: uh no he started as jim owsley right Uh, he was actually christopher james owsley is his birth name he said for years, if his wife ever left him, he'd become a priest because she was the only woman he would ever love. And she
1: left him, so he became a priest. <laughs> uh, well, his, his, a lot of what is in this movie is from his run. So, again, I, w- I would recommend okay. it. Uh, and that's, that's our political talk for today. So we'll move on from there to... What I consider just to be a phenomenon is Avengers Infinity War. Oh, actually, wait a minute. Let me hit quickly on Black Panther was at a budget of 200 to 210 million. Domestically, it made 700 million. Worldwide or overseas, it made 646 million for a uh, total take of $1.346 million. Or Or billion, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that's a success and 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 again well deserved i have no problem with it and and you know what that i don't have an issue with and just to kind of talk about the same thing we've been going on is now you made a good movie that's going to pull in the you know the universal audience and because it's showing characters or actors or a director Uh, that you hadn't seen before, it's pulling in a wider audience. So not only does that show you if you make a good movie, they'll come. If you make a good movie, even more people will come. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's a good lesson to be learned there. Now, Avengers Infinity War came out pretty quickly. We had February 16th for Black Panther, April 27th for Infinity War. Now, that was originally scheduled for the following week, and they moved it up by a week. I'm trying to remember, there was another movie that was coming out the following week and they wanted to get a jump on them, is what they had said. Uh, so um, they put it out a week earlier.
2: It, yeah, there were, there was some talk of that, but a lot of it was piracy concerns, because the, the global release date never changed. It was, for a while here, the Marvel movies were being released internationally a week or two before they were being released domestically. And that you know that was done partly to combat piracy because they're finding there was a lot of overseas piracy when the overseas releases were six months after the north americans so when you know can the united states had it on blu-ray before europe had it in theaters a lot of europeans asians africans were just downloading it illegally and then never actually paying a dime for it so studios realized it's not that they want to do it it's just that they're impatient if we get them to it faster then we'll get actual money for it. So they made that shift, and they were trying to find the balance, and they started releasing it internationally first, and with this one, recently they've been seeing a lot of the North Americans were now getting impatient, and they were illegally downloading in that first week because it's all digital now, and there are ways to do it. So they're, they're just shifting towards a simultaneous international release. So Avengers Infinity War everything around the world was realigned to hit the earliest release date that they had been announced, mm-hmm. that they've announced. so it, yeah it came out a, a week or two earlier than they originally anticipated
1: we went to see this on the opening day and i've got to tell you i was just blown away by it and we do have a an over two hour episode discussing this movie uh so if you're interested in hearing my take on the movie you can go to that one but uh this just just what a what an effort it was to to fit all these characters in to have a story going on in a way that you could understand what the process was, and to have it all be satisfying and to not feel like anybody really got shortchanged to speak of. I mean, some characters had bigger roles than others in it, but I thought everybody had at least their moments. Uh, <clears throat> I think this was just great, and this is now. You know, we're almost a year removed from it, so I don't think it's the recency anymore. Uh, I think this may be my favorite superhero movie of all time.
2: Yeah, it is a very strong one. Um, I was a little surprised by the general reaction to the ending. Um, I, I thought that the moment that everyone was reacting to was going to come a little bit sooner. They'd actually put out press releases saying, hey, like, when this movie hits, People are going to be talking. No spoilers, please. Let people enjoy it, because not everyone's going to get it their opening weekend. So the studios put out a please don't spoil anything for a week or two. Give people a chance notice. Which had two effects. One is that I actually found that there were fewer spoilers being shared. People respected that, because that was getting shared left, right and center. The other effect is that it increased urgency in the audience. People are saying, oh, spoilers are going to be huge with this one. I can't wait three or four weeks. I need to see it in theaters sooner. Right. Yeah. And if,
1: which, which plays into the studio's hands because they get more money from the early money.
2: Yeah. It's been a little over 20 years since I worked in a theater, but when I was there, the first two weeks were when the production companies got the biggest cut of the box office dollar. So driving more sales to the first two weeks works in their favor.
1: Which is why the studios always push for that opening weekend box office.
2: Yeah, which... Uh, I don't know. There's a case to be made that opening weekend is not a measure of the quality of the movie, it's a measure of the, the quality of the marketing and the anticipation that people have in it.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, mean, think that, I think that that argument is, uh, is very easily made, because quality is usually shown by the legs the movie has. Yeah, uh,
2: not to diverge too much, but if you look at the three recent Star Trek movies and compare Rotten Tomatoes' scores to the opening weekend box office, they don't correlate very well.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, that's it's, uni- it's almost universally accepted that Star Trek Beyond was the best of the three, and I think it had the lowest opening weekend of the three.
2: It, it did. I think the uh, opening weekend correlates more to critical reviews of the previous film in the franchise.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: but- I think that's a common occurrence with sequels. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, yeah, Avengers Infinity War, like you're saying, they did an incredible job of balancing a huge ensemble cast. I think it was Mark Ruffalo who announced on Twitter, he's like, I did the math with the final runtime and the number of characters, and we've got like 97 seconds each, or <laughs> something like that, just a couple of minutes. But it, like you're saying, it somehow amazingly doesn't feel like anyone got... Sh- Short shrift. They're bringing in more characters than I expected. I did not expect to see the Red Skull in any way, shape, or form.
1: Oh, that was a shock for me, I have to tell you. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. It was
2: a very welcome surprise. Like, yeah. I I loved the opening sequence where this time Loki's the one saying, we have a Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> and then we see how that plays out in a very different way.
1: Uh, it. Well, yeah. what I like, and just just to hit on that quick, is from Thor Ragnarok to this, we see two real callbacks from uh, from the Avengers, and then the one you mentioned. But we also have the uh, the scene when when he takes Thor and he's just pummeling him, and Loki just punches the air and says, "That's what it feels like." I just thought that was great. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I could go on and on about this one, and I already have, so I'm not going to really. Drag this one on too much longer. Now, with the scope of this movie, we also have a huge budget. It's listed as 316 to 400 million, and I think I think a lot of that variance might be how much is Robert Downey Jr. getting from the box office. Um, yeah. The domestic take on it was 678 million, and then overseas 1.369 billion, and the overall take is 2.048 billion. That I would say that's a success.
2: Yeah, when you're in like the top three highest-grossing movies of all time, I am. I'm hoping though that this is just setting the stage so that Endgame eventually knocks James Cameron's movies off that. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen Avatar yet, but I don't think Titanic deserves that status. I think that was
1: a marketing win more than a filmmaking win, but that's a. Uh, story for another podcast yeah and we could talk about them the pluses and minuses of both of those movies and i think they both have both pluses and minuses but avatar is uh just really quickly it's very very derivative of other stories and not especially creative in its writing uh the special effects are innovative and creative uh and it's well directed Mm -hmm. but it's 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 very derivative and i'm going to just leave it at that yeah, it's
2: again not to spend too much time on the tangent, but a lot of people are saying the visuals are really innovative. Every time they've shown me those visuals, I'm like, okay, so James Cameron plays Final Fantasy 10.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, people for story-wise, <laughs> again, I don't want to go too far with this, but for story-wise, people say, "Well, you could just watch Fern Gully."
2: Yeah. So, but those are the two I've heard a lot, Fern Gully and FF10. But anyway,
1: so um, so we came off this huge high with avengers infinity war and then on july 6th we got ant-man and the wasp which again i think i think there's a lesson that was learned from phase one where we ended with the avengers and people just wanted more of the same so what we did was we quickly gave them something here and i think we did it at the end of phase two with just the first Ant-Man movie, and now we're doing it with the second Ant-Man movie, giving them something much, much smaller, very, very different in tone, very different in perspective, uh, and letting the audience know there's more to it than just blockbusters. And I thought, you know, it was a good movie, it was very enjoyable, much along the lines of the first Ant-Man. I think if you liked the first Ant-Man, you'd like this one, uh, and if you didn't like the first Ant-Man, you probably wouldn't like this one, and that's kind of my take on it.
2: And, and this is also the one I think with some of the the big the closest we've had to a female lead, because the character arcs in here, they're not Ant Man's arcs this time. And kudos to Paul Rudd, from what I've heard, that was his choice. But they're saying, "What would you want to see in the sequel?" And he said, "The first was all about me, but you know, Evangeline Lily as the Wasp should have been more prominent. Next time, it's her story." And I'm just along for the ride, and that's largely what we got here. Right? We we don't see a huge amount of growth in in uh, Scott Lang this time, but uh, Hope Van Dyne and you know and Hank, Hank Pym both go through a lot. the The first one is really about a relationship between a man and his child. This or this one's about really about a girl and her mother growing and their mother it's mm-hmm. it's very close um, we've got a version of the villain that's again they did a gender swap which is good because a lot of the foundations of the Marvel universe were founded in a very sexist era of comics if you read a lot of comics from the 60s i know a lot of people will complain about the the sexism of stanley comics I find when I read a lot of other creators from the same era, he was. it's not that Stan Lee wasn't sexist, it's that he was one of the least sexist writers of a universally sexist era. So we didn't have a lot of female characters to draw from in terms of the ones that have been around for 40 or 50 years. A different version of The Wasp is one of them. The one that Stan Lee worked on is actually Michelle Pfeiffer's character in this. Mm-hmm. So this is but this is well done. Like you know, I you're saying, it's a well made movie. It's not. It's not gonna. If you haven't enjoyed previous movies, this is not gonna change your mind. But I, I think it's it's very fair when you're saying, you know, how you can expect to enjoy this as much as you enjoyed the first Ant Man. You know, it's not like Thor Ragnarok where they went a completely different direction with the sequel, for for good or bad. It's just it. it it's a lot of the same tone and the same quality, without giving you the same story of, of the entire uh,
1: of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. I would say this one is the most family friendly. This one you know, is the most all ages. You could have very young children watching this, you could have older people watching it. I think it's it the most universal appeal. I think most of the other movies are playing to an older audience than this one is, but I don't think this one is pandering to the young audience. I think it's still a, a fun movie if you are not a child. Yeah, it, it's a true
2: all ages film. It, you know if you're, if your main objection to having your kids watch something is violence, you're going to object to this as much as you're going to object to a lot of the other movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. But if you're okay with your kids watching some violence, you know, mostly good versus evil context, you know, and you're more concerned about other things that would show up in the IMDb Parents Guide, you know, if it's more about vocabulary or, you know, other types of content, you're not going to have an issue here.
1: Yeah, and I I think that the violence in this is mostly cartoony violence, and that's why we have like the shrinking buildings and stuff like that. You know, things that you would probably have seen much more often in a cartoon than you would in anything live action. Uh, yeah, but so, there's
2: there's not as much fist fighting as there is, you know, car chases and
1: things. Yes, like Yes, yes, exactly. So I th- I thought this was a very good choice to come out of Infinity War because Infinity War was such a blockbuster that you shouldn't be trying to top it. You should be trying to just show something different, and I think that's exactly what they did, and I think it, it was a good choice. And then we we have uh, well, that's it for the movies that have been released to date. Let me give the box office on that. There was 162 million to make it uh, domestically. It made 216 million uh, overseas, 406. The total take on it is 622 million. So again, a success. Uh, you know, not necessarily the overall blockbuster, but certainly. profitable uh so i i think uh you know marvel should be happy with that i just don't know you know as things go on and and they make more and more money on these movies i don't know if that starts becoming the floor for them and that movies that aren't blockbusters start being failures in their minds so i don't know i hope they're not falling into that trap Mm -hmm. but uh you know overall like i said a success and that's what we have as we record that's what we have uh By the time you're listening to this, you should have Captain Marvel available to you. Uh, And uh, this is going to be interesting. I mean, it's got the female lead, which is obviously, uh, you know, a uh, sociological point that's big, which we've talked about a little bit. I hope, you know, I have not seen it yet. I'm looking forward to it. I hope I'm allowed to review this one based on what I think of the movie and we don't have to worry about the sociological impact of it. Uh, It looks good to me. I just don't know exactly where we're going to go, and I'm kind of happy that I don't know exactly where we're going to go. I know it takes place in 1995, so it's going to be a flashback. We're having, uh, you know, a uh, de-aged Samuel Jackson playing Nick Fury with two eyes. And I, I'm guessing that at some point during this movie we're going to see how he loses his eye. And uh, um, Yeah, I'm especially since he movie. made a comment about how he lost his eye the
2: last time he trusted someone. And mm-hmm. given that we know that the Skrulls are the villains...
1: Yeah, I also like that we're getting the scrolls instead of the Shatari, which, uh, yeah. you know, and, and from what I've seen on the uh, previews, it looks like they look like the scrolls that we know from the comics, which is cool. <laughs> uh, and I'm just, like I said, I'm just looking forward to this one, and I'm looking forward to this as kind of a table setter for Avengers Endgame, which we're going to get a few weeks from now. And yes. I can't, you know, my anticipation has very rarely been higher than it is for this, and that's something I don't like. I don't want to. I try to go in on an even keel. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big sports fan, and I kind of go with the attitude of I like to see my the players on my team not get too high or too low, because that kind of comes back to haunt them. And that's my attitude towards movies. I try not to go in with too many expectations. I try to go in with as clean a slate as I can. And I'm sorry, I just can't help it. I'm very, very excited by this movie.
2: Yeah, I am also really looking forward to Endgame. Um, I don't know what the the actual minute count, but the only teaser for Endgame I'm willing to watch is the first one, and that really does feel like early Act 1 stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to Captain Marvel, and that's getting good positive buzz from the advanced reviews, but compare that to the word on the first four uh, preview screenings of Avengers Endgame. Where they confirmed it was over three hours in in that final cut, and that three out of four packed theaters, it was so enthralling that not one patron chose to leave to use the washroom during the course of the film.
1: Which, to me, says so much. I don't know how I'm going to manage to get through that. <laughs> that's going to be a problem uh, but I
2: can't wait uh, well, you just have to see it twice and go at different times so the only, see everything.
1: the only other movie we have that's been announced so far uh, just for release dates Captain Marvel is March 8th which again is in the future as we record this but will be in the past as you listen to it uh, the Avengers Endgame is April 26th and then we have Spider-Man Far From Home which we've talked about a little bit uh, on July 5th and that one uh my anticipation for that is back to normal level i'm expecting a a solid movie that i'm going to enjoy watching uh mysterio is the villain which i think looks cool and uh, it also looks like we have sandman and hydro man but i don't even know if that's really them or if that's a mysterio illusion and i really don't want to know until i see the movie okay so uh, you know, but I think it, it looks like it's gonna be fun and I'm all I'm all on board for it. I'm pretty confident it takes place after Endgame though.
2: Yeah, I've heard a lot of people online like you so one of the film buff groups I had, someone's like, I can't it's such a waste of time. Why would they be releasing a prequel to one of their hits after the character is dead? And we're like comes out after Endgame and the guy's like, So
1: what? It's like, <laughs> Man, you just you don't read comics, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so now Uh, I just want to spend, before we wrap it up, and we're going kind of long, so I don't want to spend too long on this, but... uh just speculation as to where they're going to go after endgame uh after homecoming and after endgame and after captain marvel because uh, we haven't really had things announced yet there is talk of uh black widow movie there's talk of guardians of the galaxy volume three uh black panther is looking to get a sequel and then there's some others that seem to be speculation about maybe possibly making a movie about the eternals or shang chi or blade uh I'm not sure where they're going to go. What I keep saying is I don't think they could say goodbye to the characters of Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. They may say a temporary goodbye in Endgame. It's possible. But I think they will have to return at some point. And my only question is, uh, will they bring them back in this continuity or will they reboot them at some point but i think there's too much money on the table there for them to say goodbye to these characters forever
2: yeah i i expect them to run with this continuity as much as they can or maybe connect it like they did with the x-men movies in first class where you you kind of have a reboot that interacts with the originals, so it's mm-hmm. more of an official torch passing
1: um, I would prefer that. I pre- I, I'm a, yeah. I'm a continuity fan, so I would prefer we st- we don't reboot from the from scratch again, especially on something that's been as successful as to have you and I talking for over three hours about it.
0: Yeah,
2: and I I, I get that. It's my hesitation with that is trying to keep it going. Um, it's easier to keep it going in the comics where you just draw the characters the same age you've been drawing them for the last 20 years. You can't easily do that with actors and yeah they've got de-aging technology that they've used and used well in these movies as well as aging technology i mean peggy carter on her deathbed there was no makeup there the actress just lay there and they made her old with cgi so you know they've got the technology
1: to do it but it's so much cheaper if you have a human being that
2: age well let's at some point
1: at some point i don't know when but at some point they will have to recast these roles uh, you know to, people just don't stay young forever it's a, it's an unfortunate fact of life so if they're gonna continue yeah. making movies with these characters uh, you know in perpetuity sooner or later somebody else is gonna play the role and I know you know I, I go back to James Bond when Sean Connery first left and there was it was almost like well you got to stop making these movies now because Sean Connery's leaving no <laughs> you know we've we've gone on whatever it is uh, 45 years since Sean Connery decided he was gonna not be 007 anymore, uh, you know. A couple you, of times, actually. Well, yeah. So it's you know eventually, either they're going to stop making these movies, which I don't think is truly an option, or they're going to recast them. And I would rather see them recast in the continuity somehow. And I don't even mind, like I said, if if somehow at the end of this movie for story purposes, Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man are gone and they're thought deceased. And you know, I would rather see the original actors come back because I still think they have enough years left in them to play these parts for, for a few more times. But if for some reason either uh, you know Robert Downey Jr. feels he's too old to play Iron Man anymore, or if uh, Chris Hemsworth or Chris uh, Evans feel that you know they've they've done you know the part has kind of done it for them and they're they're ready to move on, then. Have them resurrected at some point in the same continuity with a new actor. Uh, I'm okay with it.
2: Yeah, I mean, they've got options. They've also got legacy characters. I mean, Steve Rogers is not the only Captain America from the comics. Tony Stark is not the only Iron Man.
1: But I'm going to take the lesson from the comics with the legacy characters too is you you know you could have some quality stories with these legacy characters and sometimes they temporarily invigorate the character because you know you you have new stories to tell with a new perspective on them but they always go back to the original characters because that's the ones that the fans want to see. So I think that's what yeah. we're going to see in these two. I think, you you know, you're, you're not going to see, okay, we're not making any more Iron Man movies because we're going to just make War Machine movies. Or we're going to put Rhodey into the armor and that's what we're going to have. I, I just don't see that. I think Tony Stark at some point has to be Iron Man again.
2: Yeah, I, I think a lot of it depends on who did you first meet in that role. I mean, uh, Natasha Romanoff is a legacy character. The first Black Widow was clairvoyant. But... She was a World War II creation who lay fallow for a couple decades, and then they just used the name for a completely independent character.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the Captain Marvel we're about to see is a legacy character. Marvel's first Captain Marvel was a male Cree, and not Carol Danvers,
1: who is that actually in this movie, Marvel. as far as I understand it.
2: Yeah, I mean, so you know it, it can be done, but I would say the most successful legacy characters I can think of from comics are probably Hal Jordan and Barry Allen. And I think a large part of their success is that their previous incarnations had been out of print for years, and then they were not looking at treating it as a legacy character. It was, what's a new character using the same name? Yeah. Uh, Marvel's most successful legacy character, you could argue is not actually legacy, is Daredevil. There was a golden age Daredevil published by the Lud Gleason company named Bart Hall. He started off mute rather than blind. Uh, you know, he had a lot of similar attitudes and even similar costume coloring to Daredevil's first costume or Matt Murdock's first costume. But Marvel never owned that character. He, it just that the right owners have been out of business long enough that the copyright was indefensible. Which is also how they got their own Captain Marvel <laughs> after the character now known as Shazam, created by Fawcett when Fawcett went under. They, they jumped on the trademarks. So. Well, I would
1: say I would say that Marvel's because I, I don't I think of D- Daredevil as a totally different character. So I would say their most successful legacy is the Human Torch. For, if you're talking legacy from the uh, Golden Age. Yeah.
2: Yes, I that one had slipped my mind for some reason. But yeah, the, as soon
1: as you bring them up, you're right. I got to give it to Human Torch. But that's again, that's I, I don't see them. Go, I don't see them going legacy long term. Uh, in the cinematic universe. I think we're going to see these characters back again at some point, whether the same actors or different. That's yeah, I, I
2: see them saying, people are invested in this particular ongoing story. Let's try some legacy characters first and pass the torch. And then, unless those perform incredibly
1: well, they'll flip it to a reboot. A reboot but or, or, or a... a in between. Or maybe, maybe we go for, like you said, with X-Men First Class, like a soft reboot.
2: Yeah. There will be connective tissue, but I mean, we talked about the box office for all of these movies already. As long as these movies keep making money on this scale, they will try to keep it going, and yeah. it's it's not going to stop until they are not making money on this scale. Exactly, and then they're going to lie fallow for a while and go, "Look at how much money we made with those a few years ago. Can we do that again?" <laughs> uh, and Russell yes, they tried can. Recently, and it didn't. You know, the, the first universe was the Universal Horror Movies, and then they tried that with the Tom Cruise mummy. Which and failed miserably. It, it did. I, I actually think, I didn't understand why it failed so much when I was halfway through. But by the time I'd gotten through the second half, it was, oh, that's why.
1: <laughs> All yeah. right, so I'm going to call an end to our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe to date i'm sure the, the the coming movies will be reviewed on here as as uh, as the times approach but uh thanks blaine thanks for spending so much time going through all of this with me i appreciate you coming on oh my uh, pleasure and uh we'll see you all in two weeks
0: before we get started does anyone want to get out I am Iron Man. I am Loki, of Asgard. And I am burdened with glorious purpose. I have an army. We have a Hulk. I am a god, you dull creature! And I will not be bullied by- that! Puny god. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that off, what
2: are you? Genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. What is and always will be my greatest creation is
0: you. You're a laboratory experiment, Rogers. Everything special about you came out of a bottle. We need a plan of attack. I have a plan. Attack. I can't lead a mission when the people I'm leading have missions of their own. Nobody spills the secrets because nobody knows them all. Baskin Robbins always finds out. He's my friend. So was I. An empire toppled by its enemies can rise again. But one which crumbles from within? That's dead. Forever. I'll kill you.
2: And everybody you love. You needed to kill me, but you can't. I know, I tried. I put a bullet in my mouth, and the other guy spit it out.
0: I want the big one. If you can make God bleed, then people will cease to believe in him, and they will be blood in the water, and the sharks will come. I recognize the council has made a decision, but given that it's a stupid ass decision, I've elected to ignore it. I try to play ball with these ass clowns.
2: (laughs) F*** you, Mr. Stark. F*** you, buddy. Language.
0: Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. Underoos! Oramu! I've come to bargain. The city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave! With a box of scraps! Return to me again empty-handed. And I will bathe the starways in your blood. I can't control their fear, only my own. Because if we can't protect the Earth, if you can be damn well sure, we'll avenge it. If you step out that door, you are an Avenger. That's what we call ourselves, sort of like a team. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing.
2: If you're nothing without this suit, then you shouldn't have it. I could do this all day. Soldiers
0: trust each other, that's what makes it an army. Not a bunch of guys running around shooting guns. Last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye. If you want to stay ahead of me, Mr. Secretary. You need to keep both eyes open. shear. Your ancestors called it magic, and you call it science. Well, I come from a place where they're one and the same thing. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. There's nothing more reassuring than realizing that the world is crazier than you are. Even if the whole world is telling you to move, It is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye, and say no. You move. We are.